Welcome to Cover to Cover, a podcast featuring musical conversations about an album or song which has changed and enhanced someone's life. I am your host, songwriter Matt Tarka. Thanks for joining us today. We humans connect with the presence of music in our own unique way. As an artist, a concert goer, through our headphones, or as something that simply lives in our everyday background. Our guest today is a solo artist, producer, Palo Santo Music Group co-founder in Dallas, Texas, and its indie music godfather. He is one, Salim Nerala. You may remember Salim as our guest in episode 40 in our discussion about one of the most consequential records in our lifetime and beyond. That, of course, is the White Album. As a solo artist, Nerala has long mined the terrain between catchy and devastating. Rolling Stone called him a singer-songwriter who can stop time. As a producer and owner of Pleasantry Lane in Dallas, Nerala has worked notably with the old 97s, Rhett Miller, the Death Ray Davies, and the Damwells. His work on either side of the sound booth has won an armful of Dallas Observer Music Awards and proven that some musicians actually do get better with age. The first, the first ever Salim Nerala box set is now available on his Bandcamp page. And this consists of all the tracks Salim and Billy Harvey recorded for The World's Weakest Man, plus a 12-song bonus disc called Let Me Take You to the Desert. For our conversation today, we're going to be focusing on British singer-songwriter Stephen Duffy and his second solo offering from 1995 titled Duffy, which was originally released on Indolent Records. Some remember Stephen as the founding member, vocalist, and bassist of Duran Duran, and later the front man for the folk rock outfit known as the Lilac Time. So without further ado, Salim, welcome back to the program. It's really great to, uh, great to see you. Thanks, Matt. It's awesome seeing you today. Yeah. It's good to be back. Yeah. I'm really glad we can get together. It was roughly about two years ago, you know, this time when we were chatting by phone and the world you know, abruptly stood still. So uh, yeah. what's been inspiring you lately? And uh, do you have any plans on the books to tour as the world has more or less kind of swung its doors open again? Um, I'm slowly making plans kind of uh, with reservations, you know, wondering if this is all just a, a brief dream, you know, and then we're going to go back to uh, getting shut down. But yeah, there's this album I did with Marty Wilson Piper and my band. We did it in late 2018 and we were planning on releasing it in 2020 and touring. And we all know what happened. And uh, so it's been like coming up on four years now since we recorded it. And I just, I actually just got the masters back two days ago and, and I'm feeling euphoric that that this album which is going to be called a nuclear winter it's finally um edging its way toward um completion and then also being released probably next year <laughs> so it's you know nothing happens quickly in my life yeah. <laughs> is that going to see a digital and physical release or how is that I think so I think working that out yeah yeah, well, it, there was so much suffering involved in making this album. I think there needs to be an LP, you know, as it's my, uh, it, it should be an LP. And uh, and then we're we're talking about trying to play some dates. Marty and his wife, Olivia, are planning on coming back to America in November. Um, and then we're going to play 
maybe only in Texas. Maybe anybody who wants to come come to the shows will have to fly into Texas. It's like a, it's like a destination. <laughs> yeah, but event. we'll see. You know, yeah. uh, but that's pretty much what I've been up to. I've been playing a few gigs, but I'm just sort of waiting for gigs to come to me. I'm not like pounding the pavement right now, looking for gigs. There's a lot of recording going on. Also, Billy Harvey and I have started two separate albums of my music. So on top of the box set coming out, now we've got um, 20 some 22 songs in the works for two separate albums. Um, and then the album with Marty and then an EP, the see you and Martha EP, which I think, yeah, I think you have yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. That's coming out in August and that's five songs with my band, the tree fort five and uh, augmented by Marty um, five songs that, were part of the album sessions that kind of seemed to need to stand alone. They didn't, they didn't feel of the album to me. So though, those are coming out in August. Um, with two singles I have to in ask June you, July, what is so. it like working, working on two different records at the same time? Like my, my mind works very differently. Do you kind of like shut things down, you know, when you're working on yeah. one side of things and then all of a sudden, okay, I need to just kind of bring this top of mind. Like, do you just, give like each like project space to breathe? Like what's your, yeah. what's your creative was, process like? Well, it's a good question. I, I think there was so much time on this nuclear winter record. Like it was tracked quickly in Nashville and at the end of 18. And then I was, had also started the world's weakest man project with Billy, which we were working on the whole time, but it kind of, there's an ebb and flow, like, like the, the Marty record stalled. So I didn't actually listen to it or work on it actively for almost two years. It was just sitting kind of unfinished. Um, and I turned my attention to other things. Um, and the, but it, once I finished world's weakest man, I was able to kind of redirect also because the world was opening up and I, and I had just said, look, I'm not going to release this album unless we can, play some dates and be, and be together, you know, when it comes out. So I just forgot about it almost. Um, so I'm lucky that I've been working on these other things with Billy because those have kind of kept me engaged while I waited instead of just being frustrated and angry, you know, this record was never going to come out. I just, I just figured it'll come out when it comes out. I hope that answered your question. <laughs> I, I love yeah. that approach. <laughs> Patience. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm working on, uh, I actually rewrote all my liner notes today. And um, I realized, because I realized this has been a 10 year trip, this album, because I started the first songs that are on this album were written in 2012. And it sort of blew my mind. Like this has been a decade long you, you when people sit down with the record, they just think it's it's maybe current or that it it just happened in a in a long weekend or something. But it was like this has been a ten year trip for me from the very first song to the to the finally getting the masters two days ago, and it'll be even longer another year probably before it even comes out. So it'll be over ten years, and that so it's a really good feeling. You know, I kind of feel like uh, euphoric right now, but I'll really feel euphoric 
when I'm holding the actual LP, that's when I'll probably go sprinting across a field, you know, <laughs> like in some sort of Coca-Cola yeah. commercial. Yeah. yeah. Combination of hard work and perseverance yeah. and... <laughs> It's very satisfying at the at the end if you can arrive to something you're even remotely happy with and not completely sick of. So, and I kind of feel like I'm I'm at that place right now. Yeah, friends, we're talking with Salim Narala here on Cover to Cover with Matt Tarka, creative processes, okay. and we're just I think now is a good time to really you know also talk about Duffy, the 1995 yeah. uh, solo offering that he came out with. You know. 25 plus years ago, second solo record. Um, you know, full disclosure, you turned me on to this record two years ago when we first, you know, chatted um, yeah. about the White a- White Album. Um, how did yeah, this, how did this start for, for you? Yeah. yeah. That was fun that you discovered that album and became a fan afterwards. Um, and I think uh, the connection to the White Album uh, sonically uh, in my mind, at least, is undeniable. Like, so this record came out in 1995, and for a second, you know, we should all kind of think about what 1995 looked like on the, you know, yeah. the landscape of music. I wandered into like a Tower Records in in Arlington, Texas, and went to the import section. I had no idea um, that this record would be there. I had already been a Stephen Duffy fan um, since I bought, it was pretty much after I bought the first Lilac Time record, which I think was like 1987 or eight. Um, and I'd, I'd, I'd liked all of them. I especially liked what at the time seemed like it was going to be the final Lilac Time album. It was called Astronauts. And it was basically, it felt like an acoustic, a solo acoustic album it it felt very lonely like he was really the only one left and he just called it the lilac time um but then he made um a solo album called music and colors which um had uh nigel kennedy uh what he and him had collaborated kennedy played all this crazy violin stuff and it was very produced it was cool like production was cool but they did it i think in like air studios and like fancy um expensive british studios and um it was very arty and cool but but it didn't really sell and that came out on parlophone and i think he was promptly dropped and in 95 here i am in tower records in arlington and i see this or I'm holding it up for you. The listeners can't really see it, but this, this bright orange cover with Stephen Duffy looking super cool in a black leather jacket in front of a painting. And um, it just says Duffy on the cover. And I couldn't believe my eyes. It's like, is that the new Stephen Duffy record? Badass. So yeah. I bought it for probably like 30 bucks or something stupid, you know, because it was an import uh, on Indolent Records, which was, you know, some late, little label, and um, and when I got home, it just kind of blew me away. I I knew within one listen, two listens max, probably that it it was a classic, and um, 
there was something about the production that made me think of the White Album, which was really exciting to me because in 1995, nothing was making you think about the White Album. Like there wasn't, you know, you look at the the landscape of artists that were on our uh, in our trajectory. It was like no one was making us think about the White Album, and um, there was something about like the jagged guitars that Mitch Easter played on this record that were very white album esque and the, the use of acoustic instruments mixed with drums that, you know, sounded like Ludwig drums from 1968, which would um, make sense. Cause later on I learned this guy, Rick Mink um, from uh, Velvet Crush played the drums and he's like, he played on Matthew sweet records and he's a real, you know, that kind of, of the Ringo, um, you know, school of drumming. (laughs) And so once I learned more about it, it made sense, but I didn't know all that when I first heard it, I was just responding to the songs and the production and the approach, which was very much to me like, okay, this is a, an update on the, on the Beatles. This is like a sons of what I call sons of Beatles record. But now here we are in 1995. This is, this is, um, Stephen Duffy kind of, you know, in that world, which, which was exciting to me then and still very exciting to me now because it's held up over time. You know, it's classic. It It doesn't sound dated to me. And that's what good production I think should be. Not at all. No, it doesn't sound dated at all. Friends, we're talking with Salim Narala here on Cover to Cover. All things Stephen Duffy and his second solo record, Duffy. I love the stenciled yeah, lettering. Yeah, stenciled Duffy, yeah. yeah. It was great design. But it, it, so, so it sort of comes out of the gate with this song, London Girls. And, it, and London Girls has this great guitar riff. Um, and these stomping drums that are kind of like, um, almost like Gary glitter drums. They're like, they're, uh, they're, uh, they're almost, um, glam. Um, but his words are so great. He's singing about, I think he's referencing Brit pop and so, because Brit pop was sort of in the, um, uh, getting going, you know, with Blur and Oasis and all that. Britain was in the throes of of the Britpop years. Um, mm-hmm. I think that, you know, I'm not sure when all that peaked, maybe a couple years later, but but um, but uh, this song is like Duffy's poke at, big, uh, at Britpop, you know, uh, like the chorus for all the pop stars in your pub think they're London girls and London girls and mummy's pearls know um, the colors understand. They think their time will last. They think their time will last, <laughs> you know, like poking fun at Brit pop being just a passing phase. Um, so uh, it's a great start to the album. Uh, and, and another thing I really appreciate about this album that makes me think of the Beatles is the sequencing, like the way it just goes, bam, 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 into, uh, Brit, uh, Lenin Girls goes tumbling into 
sugar high with this great more great riffy guitars from Mitch Easter. And Duffy's a good guitar player too. Like it all Mitch is definitely the lead, but Duffy, all of Duffy's rhythm stuff is super cool. And it's got this do 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 um riff that the song starts. Um and the first line, the father, son, and game show host came to me on the West Coast and told me I could fly. <laughs> Such a yeah. you know, Poking fun uh, of Hollywood song, artificiality. <laughs> yeah, you know, a, 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 another song about the music biz, but with great melodies and and hooks aplenty and classic production. Um, it's just such a great song. Uh, and another thing that Duffy does on this record that's super impressive is his bridge writing is exceptional, which makes it, it it's like a throwback to the Beatles because the Beatles were so good at writing bridges and, and Duffy on this album just hits with one phenomenal bridge after another on this one in particular, he has some of my favorite bridge, uh, not only the scene change in the bridge, but also the words um, this is one of my favorite lines is life is far too complicated to groove along quietly. <laughs> if you've got what it takes to survive. Oh yeah. And I just love that, you know, life is far too complicated to groove along quietly. Um, Live out a, loud such if a you great want. Bridge. <laughs> yeah. So, totally. um, I'm probably for whoever's listening, they've already figured out I'm going to just gush about this record and its brilliance for, uh, you know, <laughs> for a while. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, before we uh, hit the record button, you mentioned that there's an alternate mix or an alternate version of this can, for our listeners. Oh, yeah. can, well, can you tell uh, us kind of the difference between the two? Well, it's, it's more, I collected the B sides. So I, yeah. I picked up all the various singles. There were like three or four singles that came out with this record and they all had great bonus material. So I made my own bootleg um, for myself with all 17 tracks. So it's the, um, the 11 tracks on the album and then six bonus songs. So the six songs, one is called the waitress song, which is, is now since come out, I think on the, on the, he put out a compilation um, with this reissue of um, I Love My Friends um, and the Waitress. So there was another version of this wait- Waitress song sounds like it, it was maybe part of the Music and Colors record because it's acoustic with strings, which also makes me think of the White Album, the acoustic songs on the White Album. It has a very, very much that sound. Um, but then a couple of these other tracks are for sure with Mitch Easter and the rhythm section, the Velvet Crush rhythm section, which is um, the girl of the year with some killer guitar from Mitch Easter. Uh, you, me and God, which is another fun one with, um, with more great electric guitar. And then a song called a vision of bliss, an alternate version of sugar high, which is the slow version. And it's, it's actually really cool. It kind of has a rubber soul vibe. Um, 
in slowing it down and it's not quite as overdubbed because it wasn't the version on the record. Um, and then a song called Tempest Fugit um, or Fugit. <laughs> it's, I don't know that he says the name in the song, but it's another really cool song. Um, so, and it, those, so those have been with me ever since the album. Um, I just, love the expanded version I made, but you know, that's the kind of music nerd links I've <laughs> gone to in my life. I love it. I hope these B sides kind of see the light of day and, you know, at well, least, at least yeah. digitally. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe, um, maybe Steven's working on a reissue of this album, but, um, but the third track on the album is another speaking of rubber soul. Um, this song is called she freak and it's kind of like rubber soul on amphetamines to me. It's like, it's like this, um, really fast, um, train beat, but with acoustic guitars and this great Leslie electric guitar. And, um, and then this is another one with, um, just a ridiculous bridge. It, it's the whole song is, is really catchy and with interesting lyrics. I think I've interpreted as the sheep reek is basically being um, a male who, which is Duffy who's addicted to women <laughs> and addicted to, uh, you know, romance. And, uh, and he's admitting that he's basically the, the uh, it's like the equivalent of being a junkie, but it's you know, it's not drugs, it's girls, <laughs> and uh, I did, I think it's such a clever song about something that ha- I hadn't really heard anyone sing about this in this sort of way, you know, um, and, and some some more um great lyrics like i'm looking at the the lyrics to this um this last verse uh excuse me for talking seriously these days i know it's not thought of as polite but to be your your to be yourself your true self is the hardest thing to do and to do right i was superficial when you met me a liar and a fraud you know and he goes on i i lived rendered in fiction. So, so why was I the one that you adored? Just such great lyrics. They're so poetic, but like not pretentious. And, um, but the, uh, to be your, yourself, your true self is the hardest thing to do and do right. I think is a great line. Great sentiment. That stands like you can apply that to so many different facets of your life for sure. Yeah. 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 Um, and so that's like right out of the gate, you've got three, I think three of Stephen W's strongest songs that are definitely not lilac time songs. They, they've got electricity and energy in them. Um, not that the lilac time didn't have, um, excitement, but it was a different kind. Um, and they just come out of the gate, bam, bam, bam. And then they, and then 
tumbling into track four, there's more of the same. This song yeah. called Needle Mythology, which is um, a song um, about a girl who's um, a drug addict, a love interest, it seems like, of his, who, um, who's got a problem with drugs. And it's, so it's, it's, it's a really uh, touching, it's a poignant song, but it's also, it's, it's a kind of up tempo, up tempo, you know, it's not, it's not like a dirge fest. It's like musically, if you weren't paying attention to the uh, lyrics, you could just be bopping along and singing along, but it, you know, he's singing about uh, something that isn't happy at all, you know? Um, so that's another great track. And side one ends with um, A Child is Waiting, which the bass line on that song really reminds me of um, Dear Prudence and uh, uh, and, it, and it also sonically reminds me of, of Lilac Times Astronauts. And I wondered if that song maybe was written around that same uh, time period. Mm -hmm. um, but it, and it's another one with a great opening line. He has so many great opening lines, but the the first lines of this song, didn't I make you want to fall in love singing those twisted songs? So sweet. They made you worry. Yeah. I think he's referencing the lilac time and, and his sweet songs. You that's know, that clever. He wrote. Yeah. But that's a great opening, uh, opening line. For me, uh, this song kind of sounds like what a, if a sunset could make noise. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. But that, what if that, mm. like the LP version of this, which I have, um, which I tracked down later, it's just a perfect ending to a perfect side. Like you've got, it's flawless, uh, not only from a songwriting standpoint, but um, the execution, the production, um, this, the sequence, the way that they, like London Girls is the perfect opener. Sugar High is perfect second. I wouldn't want to hear it anywhere else. She Freak is so good in the third slot. And the needle mythology child is waiting. It's like, you know, who cares what happens on side two? You've you've done it. <laughs> so Shut it's it just down. the bonus that side two ends up having a bunch of um, great songs too. Um, side two isn't quite as focused to me, um, but it's again still like with with this first side. It. It's still good. It's just, you can't top side one of Duffy. Friends, we're talking with Salim Narala here on Cover to Cover with Matt Tarka. <laughs> yeah. All things Duffy. And his second offering, also Duffy. That's Very right. appropriately titled on Indolent Records. Used with the, uh, the, uh, the pop star Duffy, right? There, there was the, uh, yeah. That's right. Yeah. The girl. From the late so. aughts. I remember her. <laughs> yeah. Side two, does that begin with the kids on every corner or do we go does, ghetto right. child? Yeah. Kids on every know. corner. Yeah. Kids on every corner. What, what stands um, out for you with this tune? 
Well, Kids on Every Corner has got a great, another great riff and a good groove. Um, and it's, you know, the harmonies on this record too are really great. And um, it's, um, they're sung by Nick from the Dream Academy, who, um, who is a very similar voice to Duffy. Um, it's a little higher, so it's kind of perfect for uh for the uh for the harmony role but um this song has some really great harmony vocals on it and um and uh, and he thanks Nick um on the lyrics for the harmony vocals on this one uh so i assume by the thank you that we can you know infer that basically he's singing him um and uh yeah so kids kids on every corner is the first one and um, another very, very strong song that then goes into um, Ghetto Child, which is uh, the second more down tempo acoustic based. This sounds probably the most like the Lilac Time. Of, of any song on the record. Um, but it's, it's a beautiful tune with kind of, um, I've never really quite known what to make of the words on this one. They're a bit, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, they're open to interpretation, like where they're a little more um, obscure to me. Uh, I'd really like to hear Duffy break down this song. <laughs> and and one thing I like about the rest of the album is, is it's really direct, you know, lyrically it's poetic, um, but direct. Mm-hmm. And um, ghetto child is, is, um, is definitely different in, uh, to me. Yeah. So, I'm trying to get a sense of exactly when when that source of inspiration happened because there's a lyric in here where he mentions, you know, a child born after Coltrane died. Yeah. So I remember when Coltrane passed away and you know Well and who's the child? And then, you yeah. know, like driven like the lambs hiding from the hands, she breathes, she breathes, she breathes. Um it, it's beautiful imagery. Uh, but this one definitely of all the songs in the album, I, I'm the most curious about where it came from and, um, you know, what he would have to say about it mm-hmm. because, um, there's no question at all what the next song Starfit <laughs> is talk about. about that. <laughs> Starfit is another great, um, swing at Brit pop. And um, about a uh, a person, a musician who's um, probably going to be in his mind a um, a flash in the pan. Uh, so uh, there's a Pink Floyd mention in here. Gilmore's eyes. Yeah, well, and there's kind of a Bowie-esque, uh, Bowie-esque swing to, to Starfit that I really like. 
Um, the first line when you were young, you always thought you'd be a star. And uh, that's a great opening line. You know exactly where we're going with this song. Um, and it's fun. It's, it's, a, it's a fun little, little song. Um, so, well, he could be talking about you're looking through Gilmore's eyes. I wonder, um, yeah, I wonder if that had, that's also a reference to Sid Barrett. Because mm-hmm. Gilmore, uh, Gilmore was the replacement for Sid Barrett and Pink Floyd, and who was hell bent on becoming, they were hell bent on becoming pop stars once they got rid of the uh, difficult one. So I don't know. It'd be interesting to ask. I'd have all kinds of questions for Duffy on this record, but that would be one of them for sure, right? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, because wasn't there a um? Didn't the adverts have a song called, uh, uh, was it Gary Gilmore's eyes? We should Google that. Um, but I'm pretty sure or TV, it was TV Smith. TV Smith uh, the adverts. And there's yeah. someone out there going nuts right now. I know the song you're wrong, but it's one of those two bands, uh, you know, in the punk era had a, had a song that referred to Gilmore's eyes. So maybe Duffy's making reference to that song. Um, can you, what are your Googling skills right now, Matt? Are you, uh, uh, my Google, my Google skills are, you know, of average Google quickly, Gary Gilmore's eyes. I think yeah. it's Gary. Yeah. Let me pause it. Real um, quick. And it was, I'm going to go with TV Smith over the adverts, but, um, but it, I wasn't like a. I'm not super familiar. I, like I, I have those records, but I wasn't like a fanboy on those records. So I'm, that's mm-hmm. why the it's slipping my mind right now. Slim, you were right on point with the adverts. Oh, it was the adverts. Yeah, okay. that was my first. But then I second guessed myself. So what's the name of the song? It's called Gary Gilmore's Eyes. Yeah, so, but it's spelled differently. It's not. Oh, it is. Okay. Uh-huh. Okay, yeah. so then he's probably referencing David Gilmore. Yeah, probably. Glad we worked that out in real time while the listeners hang in there. Honestly, yeah. <laughs> Thanks, pretty quickly. Thanks, really everybody. Bad. Yeah, you can't fault us too much. Yeah, yeah. 30, so 30 seconds of that. Lloyd then on this, on the Duffy reference, right. not the um, punk reference. Exactly. Um, so after Starfit, another great up-tempo um, rocker called Mr. 20th Century Man with more um, excellent guitars and the rhythm section on this entire record is is it's um, they're ridiculously good Um, Rick Mink and Paul Chastain from uh, Velvet Crush um, who Mitch Easter, I believe, had produced right around the same time. Because uh, Duffy came to, they were in North Carolina, right, where they recorded this, I believe. Yeah, at the drive-in. Um, yeah. Yeah, and Duffy came to, because you talked to Mitch Easter at some point. I did talk to Mitch. Uh, yeah, I listened was, to it. It was great. Yeah, this was uh, his first studio, uh, drive-in studio, before uh, he kind of moved spaces, I believe, and it became Fidelatorium. Uh-huh. Yeah. So he it was a basically American band augment you know 
backing up Duffy. Uh, and that's what gives this album, too, a really interesting... It's not just Britpop, this British guy, you know? It's got, it's got these... It, it's a great combination of... of um, influences and and uh it i think it just it makes the record even more interesting actually um and then the last two songs on the album um which i think debatably a couple of these b-sides could have easily slotted in to the album like i i would like to ask duffy what why the girl of the year um or you me and god didn't make it uh, because I think Rachel is super cool and it's fun. Uh, and it, and it makes me think of the lilac time again, a little bit, but like on steroids. Um, but uh, Rachel sounds like maybe someone could have thought at one point it might be a, a good single. <laughs> so that's how it ended up on the record. Um, but I, 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 I really like yeah. the, the, the beat on, and the, and the, and the tune on this one. And it's just, it's a fun tune. And there are so many lyrics on this album that maybe it's good at this point to have one that gives you a bit of a, a break, even though, um, I always say, give me more words, but I don't need a break, but, uh, but I, Rachel's I, just kind of a fun song about a girl named Rachel, obviously. Yeah. Yeah, I wonder if uh, there's any kind of correlation between needle mythologies and Rachel in some ways, just well, in, well, in subject matter. Possibly. Good question. Where good were you question. in '82 when there were great new drugs to do? Maybe that's yeah, kind of- yeah. Well, maybe when you get Stephen Duffy on, <laughs> if we can get Stephen Duffy to return an email, um, <laughs> then maybe you can ask him that because that's a great. That's a great. Uh, find there yeah maybe, maybe he's Rachel. working on the next lilac time yeah uh and then um the last song in the album is uh a great ballad smitten which which feels again like it could have been on astronauts to me um uh just a beautiful tune uh gorgeous guitars and um, a pretty simple uh, sentiment, you know. I've been, I'm smitten. I've been bitten by you, and uh, that closes out the album, which is drastically uh, different from the protagonist and she freak, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Somebody who can't get enough of sure. romance, as you said earlier, well, you know. Yeah. Well, that's where I like um, the girl of the year. This B side is sort of um, a celebration of this, um, or maybe even gently mocking this Supergirl. Um, and uh, I think that subject matter wise, that one fits in with this album somehow. Um, but it, yeah, it would probably be really interesting to talk to Duffy about who selected the songs, who decided to to go with these eleven, and then why some of the um, 
outtakes just ended up as B-sides, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I'm guessing he probably had a, the ultimate say because he, it wasn't like he was on Capitol Records and he was probably being closely A&R'd. Um, I, he probably was able to do this. One reason this album is probably so good is um, I bet they were left to their own devices for the most part. And I think Mitch Easter, I remember him maybe saying something to that effect with you. That's that right. They yeah. were kind of left to their own devices. Um, yeah, they- I think that's, you know, probably why it was so good. Cause at this point, like Mitch and Duffy were accomplished producers in their own right. They both made a ton of records. They knew what they were doing. They weren't just two idiots, you know, effing around in a recording studio. Like, yeah. This is the work of, of yeah, along with the rhythm section, you know, like these guys were not, it wasn't their first rodeo. And, um, and the record, that's one reason this record is so accomplished because on all levels, you, you've got people that had become, you know, masters at their craft Absolutely. Know, all the way from the songwriting up. You know? Yeah. Caroline Dale plays cello on a child is waiting smitten. And I believe London girls and her, I believe her background was in the London Philharmonic. So cool. I, yeah, I, I, I mean, you, you can't get much better than that in terms of somebody that's just so gifted and proficient yeah you know (laughs) and i think she also played with uh jimmy page and robert plant during that no quarter era when they were touring together as a duo it was probably maybe a year or two before they were in the recording studio um so yeah penny vickers mezzo soprano who sang with uh the bbc orchestra perhaps still does so They've, well, they've really found the cream of the crop. Well, the Dream Academy, um, singing on half the album, you know, it's gorgeous. That's pretty cool too. That's a band I need to get more familiar with, honestly. Uh, Dream yeah. Academy. Well, he made an album uh, called Trash Monk, too, like a home recording affair. That's incredible. That was in the night. Uh, oh wait, it might have been. I'll have to. I would have to Google the year. It was either late nineties or or at the very beginning of the. 2000s but that trash monk album is is exceptionally good um so anyone who likes duffy or lilac time it's a different trip it's sort of um but the melodies and the words and the singing and the are and the production is really interesting so are you aware of whether or not he's interpreted any of these songs live or was this Dusty? Yeah. Or was this a studio, more of a studio creation that, you know, is a beautiful record. And when you get to listen to it and sit down and listen to it, there it is. Yeah. I I have some really bad, like BBC recordings, like second or third generation um, sounded like they were recorded on cassette of him with some sort of band. Um, playing songs off the record but it wasn't the the guys he recorded with but probably because they were americans and it would have cost bucks you know to and there wasn't probably the demand so i do know that he attempted um to to at least they played bbc shows and probably a few shows but uh but then the next record after this uh, I love my friends, which is just so good. Uh, and 
uh, I, I, and I think that record only came out maybe within two years of this one. And the material on that album, once you combine it with all the, the B sides, cause once again, I made an expanded version for myself cause I tracked down all the B sides. It's, it's silly. Like, I think that like this time period for Stephen Duffy was his golden period. He was like, um, Ray Davies good, you know, when Ray was on fire in the, in the, at the very end of the sixties, uh, like 68, you know, I I think that Duffy was writing so many great songs and, and, and it's kind of remarkable to me that he was so good and it didn't translate into selling records. What it translated into was getting a job with Robbie Williams, who was a pop star and eventually writing some songs with Robbie Williams and making a bunch of money off of the co-writes, which allowed him to kind of, that was his, you know, rock and roll pension. Um, from what I gather, but, but it ultimately did. So, you know, I think it, it, it led to something, but ultimately he didn't really garner much attention or certainly not even a, an inth of the attention that he should have as a songwriter and a singer of this caliber. Like, I think yeah. this work, if you look at Neil Finn, for example, who in house. the late nineties yeah. really yeah. was on totally at the top of his game. Um, try whistling this in 97 or eight and um, um, had made the Finn brothers record in 95. That was so good. Um, I feel like Duffy was right up there with Neil Finn. As far as sons of Beatles, I'm using air quotes, <laughs> sons of Beatles, uh, of the Beatles songwriters that were like, there was no one better at the time to me than Neil Finn and, and Stephen Duffy. They were like, they'd reached the pinnacle. Uh, and, um, and, but Neil was lucky cause he'd had the big hit. Don't dream it's over. And he'd had kind of residuals after that. And crowded house was so successful that, you know, Neil was a millionaire at that point and cruising. It didn't really matter whether, his records sold or not, or he, and he had the fan base cause he had the fan base that would, it would a tremendous fan base that would still buy the records, even though, if they weren't hits. And that's mm-hmm. where Duffy was still very much, you know, he, he, he had a much, much smaller contingent of fans, radical fans, but like not enough to move anybody's, you know, sales meters. I think that's so. a sweet spot for an artist, honestly. If you've oh, got, I wonder if what he would say. He <laughs> <laughs> gives you control. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I agree. Uh, I think I think Neil Finn really had it best ultimately because he was kind of adored uh, in in his part of the world and other parts, and sold enough, and did whatever he wanted, and was sort of like revered. Uh, and he made art records and just, it seems like Neil Finn really was and is in a very nice position, which I think he readily acknowledges and has always shown a lot of gratitude for, you know, but, um, 
I think art, artists like Duffy, like I wonder, you know, if there was a little bit of bitterness that maybe set in at some point or when he was really struggling, you know, it'd be, I'd like to ask him that, Stephen. Were you Boy, bitter what? in 1998 at all? <laughs> when I, when I hear songs like Sugar High or 20th Century Man, they are made yeah. for like the a to night show of the moment, you know? Yeah. yeah quint- sure. Quintessential, perfect, like folk pop just it their own it's their own sort of yeah great great quality that should be resonating with tons of listeners yeah well and it and it's it's his own trip you know we're mentioning influences but he takes all his influences and puts them in the blender and ultimately they come out uh stephen duffy you know he's his own man he's doing his own thing and he is a very strong identity as an artist. Um, he's got a great vocal identity, you know, he's a, he's a, he's a great singer. What I really like about Duffy's vocals are they're just, they're just real. Like he, he just, there's no sort of, um, poncy affectations or like, he just sings his songs and you believe them. And, um, and it, there's, there's, you know, uh, my brother ha- used to have this term. Uh, there's no mucky muck, <laughs> <laughs> you know. Yeah, I, t- I love him. I love his uh, his his singing. It's just, it's very compelling to me. Um, and it's and it's not like he ever shreds like his voice. Like there's never any like. Um, like, you know, McCartney on I've Got a Feeling or what Lennon could do, you know. Mm-hmm. It's pretty even, but it's it's just super compelling and enjoyable. And and um, uh, that's another thing I really appreciate about his records and this record and too. Um, it, and there's a lightness to his delivery where uh, you get the feeling that he, he doesn't take himself too seriously. Uh, yeah, which is important yeah, in all sure. good rock and roll and pop music. Yeah. yeah. The Nick Lowe. Uh, yes. Good <laughs> thought. Yes. Don't take yourself too seriously. Yeah. yeah. It's music after all. Salim so. Nerala of Pleasantry Lane, solo artist, songwriter extraordinaire in your own right. Thank you. Well, so much you. for being on the program. Thank you for introducing, you know, our, our listeners and just sharing a really cool perspective on this Duffy record. Yeah. I I encourage a lot more people to figure out ways of discovering this album in, yeah. in their own, in their own yeah. ways. I hope it gets another release in the future. I hope these B sides, you know, it'd be great to see an expanded see, yeah. version of this yeah. and maybe some liner notes from Steven and um, yeah, you know, one can only dream. You and I can only dream. Yeah, we'll be, <laughs> so, we'll be waiting. <laughs> and I'm still dreaming of you getting uh, Duffy on your podcast. So, you know, let, uh, you should shoot him another message. Maybe when this comes out, you can share it with him and, and say, hey, you know, we talked about your record. And maybe that'll uh, open the door to him coming in and talking about one of his favorite records, hey, uh, which would be pretty great. That would right? be cool. And hopefully. Mitch Easter. Just, just uh, you know, drop Mitch Easter. 
<laughs> Drop the line. Well, I got Mitch Easter, by the way. <laughs> it's kind of a big deal here. <laughs> Come to the UK for you know, and tour in the US when you have opportunities. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I don't know. I'm, I'm holding out hope. I think that you can. Yeah, there's still a shot. I think so too. You got his email. So got his email. Just have to be patient. Politely, yeah. politely pester. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to uh, anybody out there that that hears this and is inspired to go track down a copy. Uh, and uh, you know, maybe I'll make a Dropbox with the B sides for you, and then you know, just people can hit me up. I'll just send the link. Oh man, I'd be delighted Hopefully for that. Stephen won't sue me for that. <laughs> Don't sue me, Steve. Yeah, Stevie. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you so much. This has been, yeah, thank this you, has been really great. Yeah. Yeah. Pleasure right. talking to you about this. Yeah. All right. Thanks so much to all of you for taking some time to stop by the program today. For all of you listeners out there, thank you very much. And please remember to hit that subscribe button on that device in which you listen to your favorite podcast, whether that's on Apple, Google Play, Stitcher, or maybe even Amazon. Take a moment to tell a friend or tell some of your family members about our show. Let us know how much you like the show by giving us a good rating. That will certainly help us appear higher in search results. And feel free to drop us a line at hello at covertocoverconversations.com. Intro and outro music of our podcast is produced by Jarrett Nicolay at Mixtape Studios in Northern Virginia. We hope you discovered some new music, perhaps rekindled your love for an old forgotten song, and shared a good moment with us as we continue to sonically explore a world from cover to cover. <laughs>